Uh, if you'd like to turn to uh, Genesis 1, I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll begin. Oh God, your, your word is a treasure that you've given to us to, to lovingly handle and understand. You say that your word is living like a sword that can, can separate things that have been held so tightly together. We don't know how they could be separated. And, and I know today, not only myself, but probably every single one of us in here needs your word to, to enter our lives and, and transform us, to teach us truth because we walk so often times very blindly. And so I pray that this morning again that your word will be a light that will, will shine in front of us and help us know where to go and how to live. But most importantly, will show us who you are and so we can, we can love you, we can know how to be in relationship with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, Genesis. Why Genesis? There's a couple reasons I want to give just why we're entering into this book, and, and hopefully it will fill you with a real excitement about Genesis. Um, the first is that when you read Genesis and you really understand it, you get to, to see the blueprint of all creation, all all material, all things that we see and sense with our five senses. And blueprints are really important, and this was brought home to me a couple of weeks ago when my roommates and I set to build a Lego cabin that was given to us by Allison, and I had never followed the directions on building a Lego cabin before. <laughs> I'd always built something else other than what was supposed to be built. But as we follow those directions, one step at a time, surprisingly, what we created was the same thing that was on the picture of the box. Success. John Paul Sartre, a famous philosopher, he said this. He said, the most basic philosophical question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? And if we start at the beginning and we see God creating everything and there's a lot packed into that, we're going to begin to understand maybe why there is something and why that something is there rather than nothing because, because we got a lot on our hands, you have to admit. There's a lot of something here. And a lot of that something are the things that we probably spend every day of our lives to one extent or the other trying to figure out why this something is here rather than something else. And so, so in Genesis, we, we begin to understand not just why something is here, but the functionality of the something that's here. Like the Lego house, what the actual functionality of it was, right? Rather than just something that I'd create from my own imagination. Other than functionality, we get to know and detect if there is error in the functionality, right? So if we go to Genesis and we begin seeing this is how things are supposed to be, then we can see if something goes wrong. And that's helpful because oftentimes in churches we talk so much about what went wrong, right? 
We talk about sin, and sin literally means something went wrong and it just keeps going wrong. But we'll never really know. We'll constantly be asking ourselves, well, why do you tell me? Why does the Bible tell me I do something wrong? Unless, Unless I can see at some point what was right and what's made to be made right. Does that make sense? So not just the functionality, but, but how, if, if that functionality has been broken, how can that possibly be restored? Imagine that some of you have more experience uh, in a courtroom than others, but imagine that you've walked in to the middle of a proceeding, perhaps right when the jury gives its verdict, right? So you walk into this courtroom, and all of a sudden, the jury comes out with, this person is guilty of murder. And you're like, no, that can't be, right? But you just walked into the the very end of it, right? And so oftentimes, we're like that, and not only when we open the Bible, and we open to the back part of it, right? And we're like, unbelievable, right? This just doesn't make sense, Right? Or we go, I just don't like that other God of the Old Testament. I just like that God of the New Testament, right? And we got all flared up about it, right? But we've only entered in at the back part of the story. So, so we can't understand the portion that we often like dwelling in unless we've first understood the beginning of it. And the last one is, the last point of why we're in Genesis is because if it is if it really happened that, that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, everything you see and, and your very self, that you are a product of not, not chaos and chance, but you're the product of, of a loving God who created you, then you can go to him and say, why did you create me? Why, why am I the way I am? And why is this earth the way it is? We have someone to go to to ask our questions to. And we are at a very, very privileged place in history to be able to ask those questions. We're at a privileged place because for as long as, as there has been people to think of crazy questions We've relied upon two things. I believe we've relied upon two things primarily to have those questions answered. And one of those things is what we call natural revelation, being, being the, the world you see. And oftentimes we tap into that by science and other things like that. And the, the second thing is the very word of God himself, words that God's given us to explain what we see. And so as we've tapped into those two things, they're often pitted together, or pitted against each other, I should say. You have this world of natural revelation where, where if you just look out the back, right, and you see the world, and, and honestly, I, what blows me away is when I try to consider it, and then I like lock into one leaf, and I'm like, that's too much. There's a whole tree of leaves, right? And, and so we're just, we can be so overwhelmed as we see the beauty and the grandeur, and, but as we dig down, we see the the up quirks and down quirks and the leptons and the atoms and, and everything, or the Higgs boson, right, the God particle. And we see all these things and we're, we're excited by them. They lead us to certain, um, to certain places, but yet we still cry out in our hearts. Um, as Stephen Hawking said, he says, but what breathed fire 
but breathed fire into this matter to make us people that ask crazy questions and demand a response. And if we don't get a response, we feel lonely and we feel left out and we feel expectant and waiting till maybe someday, somehow, someone will be able to to answer it for us. The privileged place that we come from is is this, that, that when we do enter into Genesis, we have a book that was written by... Um, written by Moses, who was a man, it said, trained in all the, the wisdom of Egypt, which was the most powerful people on the face of the earth. And so he was a man very capable of writing. But he was a man who, as he wrote, he relied upon the revelation of God to pen the words that we find in Genesis. But it, it was to a certain people. And this is, this is as we kind of join the narrative and join the story of Genesis, we have to ask ourselves, what did they hear and what did they see? And, and then what do we hear and what do we see when we enter the book of Genesis? Because if you turn to Genesis 1, which hopefully you're already there, this is what it says. We're just going to go through the first two verses of this. It says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So what do you think the people of Israel would have thought when they heard this? Because I guarantee it's something very different than you and I think. You and I often, all of a sudden just jump to, to a million questions. Right? Well, how do you know? Or, you know, or, or all these questions. And what the people of Israel would have thought when they heard, in the beginning, God is this. They would have immediately identified that God being Yahweh. Right? A God who they knew is sovereign and God who could do whatever he wanted because he had the power to do whatever he wanted. So, so the questions that jumped in their mind aren't the questions that would come into your mind. And, and I need you to appreciate this if we're going to go anywhere today. Because we are so entrenched in the questions of our culture, which maybe aren't bad questions, but we're so entrenched in those that we can never hear maybe what the, the original author was saying or what the original audience was hearing. So they would have heard, in the beginning, God, and they would have thought, Yahweh, which means literally, I am that I am. I have always been and I always will be. Yet in the, in the midst of that always, there was a time when all of this began. Right? All that you see, there was a time that this began. And the cool thing that we can kind of bring into this from our, our 21st century minds is that we go... Yeah, even our science says that there was a time when everything began, right? There was a time when everything began. And so, and so then we, we receive from this, this revelation of God, that in the beginning God, and, and when that, that heaven, that earth was formed, and what that heaven and earth looked like was something like 
one billion galaxies, right? Galaxies that contained enough stars that they equal the amount of sand we have on planet Earth. And then we have in that beginning a particular galaxy called the Milky Way, which is spinning at 490,000 miles an hour in a circle, yet it still takes 200 million years for it to make a complete rotation, right? <laughs> and in that, we, we have the only planet we've ever known, that we've ever found that could possibly maintain life, breathing human beings that think of things like, I'm hungry. I want to be loved. I'm lonely. I'm happy, right? Hey, you want to go hang out? <laughs> right, swirling in this, this mess. So in the beginning, God, <laughs> creating this heaven's earth, which is vast, but it says at the beginning, it, it wasn't like we've found it right now, but it was formless and void. It didn't, have, it didn't have anything to it. It needed to be shaped. And the way it shapes it as you follow in Genesis 1 is this. As you see God hovering over in the spirit this, this formless planet that has been chosen for something special. And he starts... He starts both creating and differentiating. And the word creation is really important here. It's actually only used three times in this chapter and only five times like it is found in the book of Genesis. And, and the creation happens in, in three different sections. And I'll, I'll show you those sections here. The first is... That we find creation out of nothing. This earth that is formless and void. And then we find God purposefully walking through days. And I want, to see, I want you to see this as, as orderly and systematic, right? Because God could have, who knows what he could have done, right? He could have like, I don't know. I, I feel like if I say anything, it's going to sound stupid, Right? <laughs> He could have done anything possible, but, but yet he, he did it this way. He, he set out seven days and walked through them in an order. And the first one was, was after creating this heaven and earth, was to take four days to differentiate different parts of it, right? Section it out. The first day being the separation of light and darkness, the second day being sky and water, <laughs> pushing one back from the other. <laughs> right, the third day being, being land, sea, and vegetation. And so, so there's this, this sky and water, and, and when we get the sense of this formless orb, this planet Earth that has, has no form yet. And you can think of it just being this infinite kayak trip with no land to go to, Right? And then all of a sudden, on the, on the third day, he, he goes, I'm going to raise up land, and I'm going to have the sea barriers. 
right? And he's, he's doing all these things in this incredible, like who knows the fashion he's doing it, but he's walking us through it. Separating things and differentiating it so you can tell the difference and how special it is. Right, and so as now we can go through it, we can go, wow, that's, that's unique. <laughs> Maybe it could have been done differently, but I couldn't imagine how it could be done differently, but, but it's unique and special, and what does that mean? On the fourth day, it says he made the sun and the moon and the stars, and he made seasons. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And so, so he's adding to the order of these days, seasons, for them to kind of rotate within in this perfect order. And then he creates again in, in verse 21. Actually, we'll start in 20 and go to 21. It says, God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expansive sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Right, so there's this second time it says he creates and this time he creates conscious life. He creates here fish and birds on the fifth day and then on the sixth, we'll call it the 6.5 day, he creates animals. <laughs> so things that that are now enjoying this planet that he created. But then he creates again. The third time it uses the word create in this first chapter of Genesis. And that is in verse 27, but we'll walk from 26 into it. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And there's something special because it says, it says the word created in here three times. It's like he's super pumped about it, right? Created. And then if you look really quickly to Genesis 5, and, and it actually gives the, the triplet again as it explains it in Genesis 5. And this is the only other place that uses this word creation. Genesis 5. It says, this is the account of Adam's life. When God created man, he made him in his likeness, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. <laughs> So again, he, he points out man and woman, and he gets very excited about creating them. And he creates them special. He creates human, literally things that would reflect his image, that would interact with him in a special way and would have a special place in his heart. But that wasn't the end of it. Because if that was the end of it, you'd have this progression that was gaining momentum. And maybe you kind of felt the momentum as we went. You're like, oh, there's an earth and it doesn't really have much. It's like a, a ball of Play-Doh that, that doesn't really do much. And then he starts forming it. It becomes this, the only earth we've ever known, right? It becomes 
It becomes this planet that can have herds of thousands of bison that can roam on the prairies and, and butterflies, right, that change from caterpillars into, into butterflies, right, and, and waterfalls. And, and everything that we sense and experience, this world is teeming with living things, right, who are now experiencing this formed earth. And then he creates something that, that above all that can share with him relationships and a heart for more than just this planet, right? But a heart for something greater, and that's a heart for him. And so how do we, how do we really see and, and appreciate this? And he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to see and appreciate this by not ending there. And so we have a seventh day, which is great for us because it'd be really weird to have six-day weeks. And he created a seventh day. And this is what happened on the seventh day. As you have this, and this is amazing, think of it this way, as you have this, this newly formed universe that is all revolving around different things, right? galaxies that revolve around centers so they can spin at 490,000 miles an hour, right? And then within those, you have, you have smaller orbs, right, that are orbiting around like us, around a sun, right? And so as we all are finding our center around something, and then we, we narrow in on this little planet, <laughs> Right, that itself is spinning and itself has a moon orbiting around it. Then we reach the seventh day and God says, this is where your center lies. This is where your rest is found. This is where you're found. You're not found in your own identity, right? But you're found in finding rest in God. Right? And that's, that's probably the coolest thing of all creation is it seems like we're building and we're growing and we're getting excited, right? Because you're like, what's next? What's next? And then you see people and you're like, that is so freaking cool, right? They have like opposing thumbs, but they can still think. And, you know, when was the last time you saw an ape reading a book, right? And, and so this is awesome. And so we're so excited. And then what happens? He's like, then you find rest in me. I'm just not going to leave you thinking that you are the ultimate purpose of creation. I'm going to point you back to what the ultimate purpose of creation is. And that is found in me. If you turn to Psalm 19, it says it so beautifully. Actually, I... Before you turn to Psalm 19, turn to Psalm 8. And we'll kind of work our way to Psalm 19. Because these, these pair so lovely together in explaining to us what is going on. In Psalm 8, beginning at the beginning, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Right? In all the earth, your name is the one that is majestic. You have set your glory above the heavens. Right? His, the glory of God is above the heavens, which means even if we look to the heavens, it means no matter how impressed you are, God is more impressive than that. 
From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Get this, it says, when I consider the heavens and the work of your finger, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs> right? And we're, we're allowed to just revel in that because we're not the ultimate of creation, but God himself is the ultimate. And we see that if you turn to Psalm 19, it says, again, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And it goes on, and this is just this is terrific display of of God being the one that all creation is, is calling us to see and appreciate and enjoy. But what, is it, what does it really communicate? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think that. We, my par- my uh, roommates kidnapped me yesterday. They man-napped me, actually, but... And, and we went kayaking, and we this, it was a lot of fun. We kayaked, we fly fished, and we were, we were laying on the beach. And as I was laying there, I was just looking, <laughs> I was looking at the, the seagrass kind of blow, and I was thinking, God, what are you trying to communicate? What, is this, what does this mean? Right? If, if the heavens are declaring your glory, if there's no, no speech where the, your, the voice is not heard, what are you saying? <laughs> and and I, I love that we can kind of share this, this wonder and this, this mystery and we can ask that. We can be vulnerable with that question. The smartest people that we've ever known have been vulnerable with that question. Uh, Albert Einstein, he wrote this. He says, I am not an atheist. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, we are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows someone must have written these books, but it does not know how. It does not understand the languages in which these books are written. The, The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human beings towards God. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand these laws. Our limited minds grasp the mysterious force that moves the constellations. Our limited minds grasps the mysterious force that moves these constellations. And there's this, this beautiful, there can be this beautiful joining of the two as, we, as we're filled with wonder and questioning. And we celebrate the sciences when they're used right. 
right? As, there, as the universe we see meant for discovery, well it was, whether it is, is the man behind the telescope or the person behind the helm of a ship, going to discover something beyond, and by the way, the Basque had some of the best navigators known to man for discovery. Right? So as we, as we go out searching for what is out there and what's more, we constantly come against this question. Well, this is terrific. But who am I and what is my functionality? <laughs> right? Literally, why when we, when we find the Adam do we still want the Higgs boson? Right? Why when we've, we've discovered one galaxy further, do we think, maybe if we discover one galaxy further, then, then we'll find that we're not alone because we don't feel alone. And so what Albert Einstein's unveiling for us here is that we have to feel this vulnerability. Right? And even when we, when we come to the, the, the first book of Genesis, it allows that vulnerability, just kind of throwing it out there, going, but none of this works if in the beginning there wasn't God. None of this works if in the beginning there wasn't a God who created. And, and we need to move to that point of going, but if in the beginning there was a God who created, what was he saying? And what did he, what did he mean by this? What did he mean to happen? as he formed it slowly and created us in his image and then created for us rest. There's a few things that we can look at. The first is that he means for us to understand that he loves it and he is excited about it. And that's why in five times in the first chapter of Genesis it says it was good and then it says it was very good because God created it and he, he was just pumped about it. In Proverbs 8, there's a real mysterious portion where it's talking about wisdom. And, and we don't exactly know what it's talking about when it talks about wisdom here. Some people have said this is Jesus. <laughs> but, but any way you look at it, you see this real delight in God forming the world. It says in Proverbs 8 of wisdom, it says, I was there when he set the heavens in place. He marked out the horizons on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds and fixed securely the foundations of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries and the waters so they could not overstep his commands. In 30, he says, I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Right? So, so you see in this creation fun, <laughs> which is so cool because, because we're a people who, who don't learn fun from watching Adam's in a microscope, right? We don't look at it and we're like, oh boy, they're multiplying, right? <laughs> we are queer people, right? Who, who, who want so badly to enjoy. And here at the beginning, when you see God forming the world, he's going, isn't this great? 
that's good, that's good, that's, that is so good. High five, right? That's, he, he's thrilled at the creation of it. And he's filling it with meaning. Not only is he intending for it to be, to have a message, but it's intending for it to be a messenger. And that's amazing. It says, it's crying out constantly. And we're, we're meant to take time, not just to chop down trees, which can be a lot of fun, but we're meant to, to enjoy the world God's created and go, God, I'm, I'm missing it. <laughs> and I want to hear, I want to have open ears and open eyes to see. It's meant to be a language that's not merely theoretical, which we oftentimes treat it as. Right? Oftentimes we can treat the words of the scripture and, and the experiences that we have and the experiences we, we see as being merely theoretical, like, oh, that was cool, but what's real? You guys ever have those experiences where you're like, you're reading something in the Bible and you're like, I believe this is the revealed word of God. And then you read it and you go and you're like, okay, what's, what's real? Right? It doesn't mean it to be theoretical, but something that as you read, it, your, your soul is enlightened to what you can take as reality and understand. It's meant to be, be understood as, as being made intimately. In Psalm 139, it says of humans that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> Purposefully made, right? We are, we, are, we are meant to know God in an intimate form where God himself, he didn't merely create someone else to create for him, but he himself formed the earth and then in a real intimate way formed man. And then it says breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Right, and so... So that tie there that he creates with the world, he himself is, it, is in some crazy way attaching himself to it. That when the world is rocked by, by disobedience, by sin, and gets, gets shifted off its orb being focused on, on, on God, right? When that happens, it says he's grieved. <laughs> Do you guys get that? That it's not a world that he's just like punted like a football and been like, come back when you're ready. No, he, he, he shaped it with his own power and invested in it in such a way that he has attached himself to it. That he, when it fell and, and caused his heart so much pain, plotted. And, and what's cool is it says in Ephesians, even before the creation, plotted to how he would bring it back to himself. He's stoked about the world. He delights in it. He gave it a message to share. And one of those messages is that we're, we're crying out, God, we want to be back in that close relationship with you. We don't understand ourselves, God. We don't understand ourselves. We need to be brought back in relationship with you. It's meant to be seen as, and this is very closely tied with intimacy, but being made with purpose. In Ephesians, or in Isaiah 45, verse 18, it says this. It says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. Get this, it says, He did not create it to be empty but formed it to be inhabited. Isn't that cool? 
It's purposeful. So it's not, it's not one thing reacting to another thing, reacting to another thing, like, like oh, how did that dirt become a fish? Right? It's, it's not like this weird reaction, but it says, but he formed the world to be inhabited. Right? So, so purpose filling it from its very beginning. And yet he made it mysterious and terrifying. Right? A world that, that though it, it contains people that are hungry for knowledge and will constantly be asking, why, why, why? Mommy, why can't I have a popsicle? Or mommy, where did I come from? Right? When we, we ask those questions, why, why, why? Even as we grow up, we ask those questions and he did not, he did not make it to be immediately accessible other than coming to him to ask those questions why and trusting him for the word that he reveals to explain it. The world is an incredible place and it can be a terrifying place. I was talking with a young man on, on Friday night and, and, and we, we were talking about, about God and, and we kept coming to these points where he'd look at me and he goes, but life's pretty hard, isn't it? I go, yeah, life's pretty hard. And then we'd keep talking, and he'd stop, and he'd go, but there's a lot of pain in the world, isn't there? And I go, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of pain in the world. And he would just constantly come back to those two things. Well, but life's really hard, isn't it? And a lot of people, there's, there's people, a lot of people are have a lot of pain, don't they? And he was kind of trying to process those things. And we 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 wonder. God, in this huge world, in this big world where, <laughs> where there's so much that I just don't understand. And it's not just me not understanding why flowers are so beautiful, but it's me trying to grasp why there's so, so much passion in people and yet why there's so much pain in people. Right? Why waves are so cool to surf and they can demolish whole towns, right? Where a fire can keep us warm in the wintertime, but it can demolish half of Colorado, right? And those aren't always the things you see on postcards, right? You can see, like, cute puppies, but do you ever see the wolf tearing apart a bunny, right? Like, right, we live in this world that is so filled with wonder and awe, and we have to, for a moment, step back and go, wow, is there a creator that I can come to? Be because we discovered we didn't. <laughs> Our, you know, people, the Vikings probably discovered America. <laughs> right? We discovered galaxies. God, we've discovered all these things, but... But when I heard a relationship with somebody, that doesn't help me here. So, so God, can you explain these things to me? And he does. Because he created the world not only with the world speaking to us a loud language which says constantly there is more. God is the one to be glorified. But he created us to hear 
his word. And that word ultimately being Jesus Christ, right? So it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And, and you see God speaking the world into existence. That literally is through this word, Jesus Christ. But there was a moment, and this is what, where I say that we stand at a privileged place in history where it says, at a moment the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have known his glory, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And do you believe this? <laughs> Guys, there's nothing cooler than this. That we stand in awe of this world, this, this little globe that's surrounded by so much, and we call it planet Earth, and God was so passionate about it that he didn't stay removed from it but entered it into, into it himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Right, that world that, yeah, is there a lot of hurt? Yeah. Is there a lot of pain? Yeah. And so he entered this world and dwelt among us. And literally it says, we have known, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see everything from this, this real special place. We don't just see it from the place of Israel who first read Genesis 1 and, and said, yes, God can do all these things. Yahweh can do all these things. But we see it from this other side of history where we've seen God himself enter it and do something that perhaps is more mysterious than all of creation combined. Which, which is the infinite God who created everything and we have worked so hard to be independent from and say, we don't need you. And we've tried so hard to distance ourselves and create through our own discovery and all these things independence from him so we don't have to worship him and we don't have to care for him and we don't have to listen to his commands. And we've worked so hard to do that, that he would come and at the cost of his own life, start putting that blueprint back together. Right? That what was broken can now be restored. And that restoration would come through the word of God himself. Right? And so we look at it differently now where we don't just look at the creation, but we look at the recreation at what God's doing to redeem the world and so we have a special place where we can, we can literally come to him. That, that, that brokenness by the grace of God has been, been taken away in the person of Jesus Christ that, that we can come to him and say, God, how did you make me? Why did you make me like this? God, why is there war in the world? What has gone wrong with the world? And we can ask all those questions. And we're going to be asking those questions as we walk through Genesis. And so I hope you're stoked about it. Next week we're gonna look just real pointedly at, at us being created in the image of God and what that means. Why are we so special? Have you guys ever wondered that? I, I, I got my degree in philosophy and I went through so many philosophy classes where they constantly told me I was no different than animals, right? And, and in one class, I literally raised my hand. I've shared the story with you, uh, you guys a couple times. And, and I said, 
I said, you know, I think animals are really special, but I've never seen an animal create a skyscraper with a flushing toilet on the top of it. <laughs> I thought that was a good argument, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> what is our response to the uniqueness and the, the grandeur of humanity that yet is so broken? <laughs> and we're going to look at that next week. And I hope you guys are excited because, because I cry out with you guys. Guys, I, I've read the Bible so much and I still cry out every day going, God, teach me more about me and how I know you and, and how does this work? <laughs> because I still, I function so blind still. And yet God's created us for the ultimate experience. To, to enjoy again, to have fun again in the ultimate experience of what he's redeeming the world to be. So oftentimes Christians are, are talked about as being boring and I think that's the saddest thing because God made this world to be enjoyed and yet we can go to him and say, how do I enjoy that? I'm not just going to go and try to enjoy it the best I can enjoy it because that has led me wrong so many times. But how do we enjoy this? After that, we're going we're gonna to continue on in Genesis, right? Image of God. The next week, we're going to look at the fall. What happened? Why are we so broken, right? If God meant us to know him, what went wrong? And why do we hate him sometimes? If the best thing possible is to know him. So I hope you guys are excited about it. But, but as we end today, I, I want you guys to to know these, these three things, just functionality, right? Why, how did God made the world to be? And as you see him form it, I want you kind of to end there on the seventh day that the, the world was meant to be centered around him and to rest in him. And there's so much more to that we're gonna discover. But the world was meant to center around him and rest in him. That was the climax of all of creation was to center in on him and to rest in him. To know the truth is the second thing I want you guys to take with you. Know the truth. Know that you were created for him. You weren't merely created for yourself. That your story, whether you think it's beautiful or painful, the story of your people, whether you come from the Philippines like me, or Great Britain, or Russia, or Basque Country, or South America, wherever you, you come from, that the truth is that you're part of his story. And so often we go wrong by trying to make him a part of our story. Right, and we, we, we go, God, why don't you fit into my story? And the, the truth that we receive is that God is going, because I made you for a greater story. I made you for a better story. And that story is my story. Right? And, I, I, and that story was broken because you tried to fit me into your story. But I want, I want healing in your life is for you to go, well, God, how can I fit back in your story? And to know how to do that. And the last thing is that we have a creator. 
that we're not here by chance. And that creator created you purposefully, but he also created you to be in relationship with him and to access him, to go to him and be able to say, God, why did you create me like this? What is, what is the purpose? What is the meaning I have? Because the story of scripture, and, and, and I hope that, that in these, these upcoming years, we disassemble for you the, the wrong idea that I don't like the God of the Old Testament and I like the God of the New Testament. Because in the beginning, God saw the world as good and he loved it. And he was calling it to be in a loving relationship with him. And so I, hear, I hope you hear that call today. I hope when you go out and you see the sun and you play frisbee and you go kayaking or swear to never play video games again. As you, as you go out and do that, are you guys tracking with me? Okay. As, as you go out to do that, that you open your soul to listen to the heavens that are declaring the glory of God. Take time to contemplate what it's saying. Take time with that. And you'll be changed by it. Pray with me and then we'll worship together. Oh God, God, we need just a radical awakening. God, because even though I go out and I, I can spend a whole day in the woods by myself where I feel like it's just a point that I just want to see you and hear from you, God, there's so much crap in my own heart. And there's so much that's silencing my, plugging my own ears from hearing from you and seeing you, and, and I, but I feel in it all. I see in it all, I hear in it all. You, you calling us, you asking us to be more awake, to, to love you, to enjoy this world, God. And yet there's so much that holds us back from that. I pray that, that maybe even in our time of singing that, that we can experience freedom. I pray as these, these sermons come up and we listen to them, God, that there'll be a way to kind of recenter us again around God, who, can we, who we can rest in and find our identity in. God, you've been so good to give us your word, and I just pray we cherish it. God, we, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.